You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever heard of Alice Guy Blushy? I'm a filmmaker. I've never even heard of that. I've never heard of Alice. I'd heard of her with one point. Uh, no, I'd never heard of her. I think people will think you're making it up. 1895, the Lumières present the first public demonstration of their new invention, the cinématographe, the first reliable method to project motion pictures. Among those invited, a young secretary, she thought, why not use film to tell stories? Alice Guy writes, directs, and produces one of the first narrative films ever made. Alice is one of the first to utilize many film techniques, including close-ups, hand-tinted color, and synchronized sound. Alice founds her own company, where she directs and manages all aspects of production. Following a two-decade career comprised of a thousand films that she wrote, directed, or produced, Alice disappears from filmmaking. How could such an important figure in the birth of cinema not be known? I was determined to do something about it. My name is Pamela Green, and I'm working on a de documentary. Look at the films being made, train coming into a station, waves breaking on a beach. Who cares? They're just boring subjects. You really needed people like Alice Guy to come in and show you there was more to the cinema than just a stock shot. She might be really one of the very first directors in the history of film. She was a filmmaker of rare sensitivity with a remarkably poetic eye. Most of her films were lost. The stories in the films that did survive were groundbreaking and innovative. But the greatest story of them all was her own. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this special episode, I am talking to Pamela B. Green, the writer and director of Be Natural, the untold story of Alice Guy Blasch who is one of our earliest filmmakers and has not necessarily gotten all the credit that she deserves. This documentary talks a lot more about her, her career, and maybe why she has been somewhat written out of the history books. So let's go ahead and enjoy that interview right now. I've never talked to somebody who does what you do more on a day-to-day basis as far as the title creation and all the stuff that you do. And I'm curious how you got into that line of work. Completely by coincidence, I was working for a company called Kaleidoscope. It was one of the first trailer companies, and they had all these different divisions. I just wanted a job. I said I could do sales and bring in work. Before that, I, I had worked on DVD menus and trailers, but for the indie world. And before that, worked in Atlanta doing a lot of stuff for Turner, Cartoon Network, CNN, et cetera, but in a different medium. And I was just, you know, happy to have any kind of job. Basically, it was my learning ground because they had posters, they did the movie marketing, and they had a graphics department there. And they talked about movie titles. And I remember seeing Spider-Man at the time and Panic Room, and I was like, oh, my God, those are like my favorite films. And 
I hit it off with the graphics team at the time because it's like, oh, my God, you know, she gets it. That you could tell stories through the graphic medium. That was interesting to me. So did you go to school for, like, graphic design? Nope. I fell into bringing in the work, and then I would comment on it because I creative direct, you know, website design and, like, presentations for Cartoon Network to draw as a child. I was a dancer. Maybe that helps me with editing. I did the work, and I learned as I went. So what have been some of your favorite ones to do? I like the storytelling ones. I like Sex in the City because that was a show that I watched, and I really enjoyed putting the editorial pieces together of how that whole thing came about up to the, the film. I like Cabin in the Woods. I like uh, The Kingdom. I like Budo. There's not one per se. I like them all for different reasons. It's hard to put your finger on something because you bring different disciplines to each job. Some are just a set-up story with archival. Some are just complete graphic design, interpretation of what you're about to see, kind of a setup. I love the Bourne movies. So that's kind of like recapping what happened in the film in an abstract graphic way. So I just think it's a great medium to tell stories. And also, infographic-wise, it's great to shorten content. Well, how do you go from working in that for 20 years to then directing a feature documentary? Not 20 years yet. Everybody's making me older. Well, I figured with the with the menus and those things, that was probably, what, late 90s? Oh, man, I'm really old. I started really young. Yeah, and, do, and it was a program called Director where I would do these. It was a new solution to ugly PowerPoint presentations. It was a program called Director where you could animate and do stuff. And I think what I was doing with Premiere back then before it was the Premiere of today, which is so interesting. The, to answer your question is, I was building my suitcase of tools. Once I had those tools and then I discovered the story, I used the bag of tricks that I learned along the way and applied those to be able to tell the story. Well, there's the, the few interviews with your interview subject, and then there's the interviews that kind of support that, but then you use the graphic design so much as a storytelling device. It's wonderful. I wanted it to feel modern and accessible for an audience that knows nothing about film and to correct history even in the opening because people assume everything happened in Hollywood. You know, the tourists, Hollywood postcards, Hollywood this, Hollywood that. And then, no, that's not where it happened. And, you know, little tease on Fort Lee, just so they get a little tease and then, you know, go from there. When was the first time you heard of Iliski? Probably almost 10 years ago. Uh, I'd seen something on TV and I thought, I'm not surprised. Well, I, you know, heard of this person, but I'm not surprised because women are not recorded or documented. Mind right. you, my industry was predominantly male, and even in my day job, I looked for designers and animators. It's hard to find at the time. Only when I look back, I remember all things. But yeah, I was a woman working in a male-dominated industry of design and animation in, in Hollywood. It bugged me, and I asked more people, and I asked more people and more people, and the more people I asked, I realized it was a problem. So I investigated more. And then when I saw some footage of her talking, it just felt like, even looking at the picture when I saw her, that she was almost speaking to me saying, I'm at the wrong place here. I'm not where I belong. Please get me out of this because this is not who I am. And I feel like in a way, she came, the subjects pick you, but basically, 
I came on board to help her restore her legacy. I say, I always say I'm the last chapter of her life because she never got to do the things that she needed to do to restore her legacy. So I did it for her. Well, so much of the film, it plays like an investigation. And I'm curious how you decided or when you decided I'm going to document all of this stuff. Oh, early on, because I knew that was the most compelling part of the puzzle. Because how many times can you look at a drifting picture? I mean, I knew I was going to make it graphically compelling, but so what? Who cares? You can make it beautiful, but if there's no spine, who cares? And everybody said, who wants to watch a Skype call? Who's going to want to watch that? Nobody cares about this stuff. Nobody wants to see you on the phone. Da 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 All this stuff. So anyway, um, I thought the Nancy Drew, Sherlock Holmes kind of thing. I'm personally interested in detective stories. I'm a detective fanatic. So um, I love discovering new stuff all the time. So for me, it was a never brain. Okay, but also as a child, I love history. Um, I got a history of art book, my mitzvah, <laughs> and also when I was in Europe, I would visit all the museums and would wonder where the rest of the limbs were, like Venus to Milo, where's the arm? I'm going to try to stick it back on if I can go into this other room because I saw some arms on the floor. And I was obsessed with the Mona Lisa because the history was constantly changing. I loved discovering the thing. Indiana Jones. That's what I should have done. <laughs> uh, adventurer archaeologist? Oh, my God. Yes. But I like journalism as well. So it's a combination. You said you came across Aliski about 10 years ago. So when did you say to yourself, this is my project. I'm going to start working on this and documenting this. I just couldn't put it down. It just bugged me. Yeah. But then you have the funding. and You know, it's a lot of work. All the film is pretty intense. Well, how did you go about getting the funding and saying this is going to be the project and I need to have support with this? Well, well out of pocket first. I just kept writing checks because I was doing pretty well at my job and I didn't care. After that, I um, did a Kickstarter because I couldn't afford it anymore. Nobody in Hollywood wanted to help me. Zero. And then through the Kickstarter, I met a woman who worked for Gina Davis, who introduced us to Geraldine Dreyfus. She brought on Regina Scully and then Amy Wolf came on later. Notice mentioning all these women. However, we did have Hugh Hefner that came on board as well, a very large sum. That seems so unusual. I, I remember Hugh Hefner would support the arts, but it just seems like such an unusual project for him to support. No, not really, because he's helped a lot of women, a lot of women documentaries, a lot of films about birth control and uh, activism for women. It, he just didn't talk about it. He didn't talk about he put people to college. Like, people don't know. Do you get death for women? Sure. Did he help them as well? Sure. You know, he considered himself a cinephile. He never heard of her. He was having films. And then in the women, there was a woman I talked to for two years to get to do Hefner, Terry Thomas. So there's always a woman in the scene somewhere. The thing that amazed me the most was when you mentioned her towards the beginning, and there were at least, what, three or four other female directors that I really hadn't heard of either. Well, if you notice, I do it three times. Anthony Slide mentioned that he's like, there were all these women we didn't know. Then Dino says, now we know about Alice, but about all these other women to the Metropolis comment. And then she herself says, I didn't realize there were so many. So I hid that in there, subliminal, in a way that's not like in your face annoying. Because we don't want to make Alice a victim. But she wasn't recorded or documented, clearly. What about those interviews that you, that you showcase with her throughout? Where were those recorded, and what were the circumstances of those? Plans, there was a cinema special. In Belgium, she lived with her daughter, 
And then the tapes were found in the garage of the professor. His grandson found them, who happened to be Alice's neighbor. And then once he realized who she was, he said, I better document this. So what do you do? As soon as you, like, you meet somebody, you have this feeling, I mean, for me anyway, I feel like, oh my God, I better figure out how to introduce this person, what materials do they have immediately before they're gone. Because you, it's you're capturing the moment. It's important. How did you balance working on the day job? Because, like I said, you are very prolific at what you do versus working oh, on the documentary. It almost, it almost killed me. I barely financially, I had to, my salary went down almost nothing. I gave up jobs. I couldn't do it. I, I mean, I tried to do both. I did both for a long time, for five years straight. And then um, just I had to give because it affected my health. It was very difficult. I wanted to give up and throw everything away. But I kept going. Because I had the support of these women that cheered me on. And men keep going, keep going, get it done, you can do it, you can do it. But I wanted to unplug the drives and had tantrums on my way home. I would call Joan Feynman or Geraldine or Jamie and just say, you know what, I'm just not doing this anymore. It's very hard to keep going. It's very hard to start something and it's hard to finish something. And it's hard under circumstances like this that are extraordinary to be able to finish something like this. Did you have to do a lot of traveling for this? A lot. Mm -hmm. A lot, but not only that, a lot of phone calls, begging. I mean, I would get up at 4 a.m. and work till like midnight every day to be able to get a hold of all the different time zones, the emails, the bugging, the Skyping, the begging, the doing, the interviews, emailing for interviews. Please do this. Please fund this. Please do It was just never ending. If anybody else would have done this, it probably would have taken five years longer at least. So it's a sacrifice. At the time, I wanted to really... Like, just throw it all away, and really, I'm telling you, I want to give up. But looking back, I get a little emotional about it because I feel like I did something. If I was gone tomorrow, I was like, you know what? I did one thing. I restored this woman. Almost. I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm working on it. That's more important than the film itself because I was restoring her as I was making the film, which is kind of fun. It's like Back to the Future where you have that Polaroid photo, and all of a sudden, it just starts to look different. And now you can Google, and you have all these amazing images of her that didn't exist before when I was starting out. I'm not saying that other people didn't before me certain things, but on the flights, I took a with her relationships. So many different things to do this and be focused. I mean, just connecting all those dots is so important. To have all those different points of view, all the different scholars and professors, teachers, not only them, but then also people in the industry. I mean, just such a wide swath of people that you talk to, to be able to get all of this information in one place is remarkable. And I never edited it before. So I was told that it was terrible and it was bad. That a lot of mansplaining. If I didn't do this crazy step of involving Hollywood and pushing the envelope forward, and if I didn't have the funders, I would never have been able to do this. If I didn't have the internet, the poster photo was found two weeks before I got into Cannes, completely by coincidence. I was licensing something else. And that proves that she was on the set for the life of Christ. So, you know, a little bit of justice there for her. So, you know, without those women that are still there, they keep supporting me, you know, because I'm still <laughs> fundraising, fundraising until, you know, I'm old. I do have to tell you, going back to what you said earlier, you do actually make Skype phone calls very interesting. Thank you. I was told not to put them in there, but ignore, ignore. People forgive and they're excited to see stuff. It's like, what? We're talking to somebody in Moscow? Oh, now in Fort Lee? Now in St. Louis? Like, where are we going next? 
the format doesn't matter. It shouldn't. Yeah, so people understand the work that's involved in resurrecting somebody. You know, but also the journey. It's fun. It's like, oh, we're going to be here now. Oh, because most people will never see it, go to those places. So they're experiencing it through the film, which is kind of fun. I like that when I'm watching stuff. It's like, oh, I'm here now, I'm here now. And then I get inspired. I want to go there, you know. After working on this project for, what, 10 years at least? I'm going to take a nap if that's your question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was curious as far as how much did you have to leave on the cutting room floor? A lot, because it's boring. You you have to tell a story, and you don't actually get to the end. You have all this stuff, and if you can't figure out the connecting shit, it's got to go. I was precious and became a motivator because I was the one editing. And, you know, I had people working with me. It's like, hey, maybe you should cut this out. No, I'm not. But I would make it shorter. Or I just cut something out completely. But I think what's different with me is instead of killing stuff, when most a lot of long-form people just kill stuff, I noodled with it where it might be completely short, but it's still impactful because I come from short form. Long-form people can't do short form. So it took me a while from the sh- doing short form on my day job to figure out how to do long form. And then it's funny, now I'm back in the marketing of the film because I've been cutting a lot of the pieces myself. I had to go back to short form and I'm like, wait a minute, this is way too long. I need to make it shorter. What do I need like pad for? Because we got to go back to like the fun cutting again. So it's two different disciplines. So what was that like actually seeing this with an audience? Uh, awful. It was nerve-wracking. I was sweating the whole time for two hours straight. I just wanted it to end already. People, it was a standing ovation, and then there was a gentleman by the name of Pete Hammond that stood up, and he's like, I'm going to write about this. I didn't even know who he was. I was like, okay. And I just was like, oh, they don't hate it. Thank God. The magic began where people were seeing what we were seeing. But that was an 18-minute longer cut. And, you know, I was so stressed out because I was like, we're not done yet. We're not done. And, again, it's like, it doesn't matter. People come with work in progress all the time. And I was like, I have so much stuff to do. When they accepted me, it was March 31st of last year. I had 40 minutes to cut that were still not together. Everything needed to be animated. All those books weren't even animated. And I cut them in as stills quickly, so my funders thought that they were animated. Like, you know. And I said, no, these are all stills. All of that needs to be animated. All of this stuff needs to have movement. It was insanity. We were running around with our heads cut off. Just reminiscing about it yesterday and then remember the pain and stop thinking about it. So when did you finally lock the picture or are you still noodling with it? No, no, no. That's it. I think after London, I finally, that was, after London, there was no more cuts. Just finessing a little bit in like November and that was it. I, I did submit it for Academy Consideration, so I had to stop for last year because I didn't want the movie to open in August. Because of that, the distributor moved up the schedule to March, which then became April. But I just did, I was like, I don't want the movie to wait anymore. It's time. Like, the movie's got to get out there. We're talking now. If it would have been August, I'll just slit my throat. <laughs> you got to know when to, like, let it go. Who is distributing it, and how can people see this? It's uh, Zeitgeist. And uh, in association with Kino, and it's going to be theatrically in LA at the Lemley Monica April 19th, and then it expands, and then it opens in New York on the 26th at the IFC Center, and expands and multiple cities. It's on the Zeitgeist website, Denver and Atlanta and Chicago. You know, we're doing it slowly, and then just like the movie, building, building, building. 
Kino and Zeitgeist are known for quality products. And I'm curious, are they going to be putting out any Alice Guy movies as well? They have the, they have the Ocean Way, Falling Leaves, and the Fooling is Money. So I'm hoping my goal is to do the Alice Guy Foundation and a U.S. DVD of her film. So I'm definitely going to be talking to them about that. But we've been running around our heads cut off to try to get everything ready for the release. Well, I have to ask the question that I hate to ask, but what's next for you? I just can't tell you what it is yet. I'm not sure. I'm available for hire if somebody wants a TV show or a series or something just different. I have my day job still, and I make a living, and I would love to. So, and I'm available. Ms. Green, thank you so much for your time, and it was a real pleasure talking with you. Very much uh, a pleasure talking with you, too, uh, Mike, and um, and I'm glad you like the film. And please share it on social media. Oh, I definitely will. And yeah, I was even just talking about it yesterday as far as how people just get written out of history. And I am really glad that your movie is around to help kind of write things. I mean, that scene at the end at the uh, Cinematheque or wherever in 77, oh my God, I almost lost my shit. Oh, the round table? Yes. Yeah, the radio. It used to be two hours. I cut it down. I was told to cut that out too. Can you imagine? No, no, you have to leave yeah, that in. Yeah, editor told me to cut that out. I mean, I was upset when you mentioned that the uh, that the Cinematheque didn't have that photo of her anymore, and then it's like, <laughs> and then Lengua wants to just cut her out completely. Oh, God. Sorry. And then they use it for the material. And the, the Cinematheque thing, I discovered it by rewinding and playing, rewinding and playing, because I didn't realize she was talking about long gloss. And then once I realized it, because I was learning on the job. And then I found this footage, and I was like, oh, my God, that's Alice on the wall. Like, I found all these connective tissues, and I just lost i lost my shit, too. So if I didn't speak French and there was no internet, the movie would not have happened. Well, I'm glad you do. I'm glad it did, and I'm glad that you made this. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Please spread the word. <laughs> 